Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, and I'm the editor of GP Online. This is our first episode of 2022, and I'm really pleased to say that Talking General Practice is now going to be out weekly. You'll find a new episode every Friday morning on your podcast platform of choice. We've also changed our format. This week we have a news roundup, and next week's episode will be an interview with someone from the world of general practice, taking a more in-depth look at a key issue affecting primary care. So today I'm joined by our news editor Nick Bostock and our senior reporter Luke Haynes to discuss some of the key news stories from the past two weeks. Coming up, we'll be looking at the pressure general practice is under as a result of the Omicron variant. We'll also be discussing what the huge backlog of care means for practices and we'll be weighing up whether the additional roles reimbursement scheme is likely to deliver on its promise of 26,000 more staff in primary care. We also have a positive news story about flu jabs. That's all to come on this episode of Talking General Practice. So first up, as everyone knows, the UK ended 2021 with record-breaking COVID cases fueled by the spread of the Omicron variant. Thankfully, data suggests that Omicron is indeed milder than previous variants, particularly among those who are fully vaccinated. However, the last week has also seen a fairly significant climb in the number of hospitalised patients. Perhaps the most significant impact Omicron has had, though, is in the number of people who are now isolating because they've tested positive. This has, of course, also affected NHS staff with huge numbers currently off sick. Nick, NHS England publishes data on the numbers of staff off in secondary care, but what do we know about staff absences and how it's affecting GP practices? Yeah, as you mentioned, um, NHS England publishes data on staff absences, but currently that covers only hospitals. And the the latest data show that at the start of this year, there were around 40,000 people who work in hospitals off sick or self-isolating because of COVID-19. It's worth mentioning that that figure is literally only the half of it because there are actually another 40,000 or so off sick for other reasons, as there would be at any time. So the data suggests that the current wave of COVID-19 has doubled the number of health service staff off sick compared with normal times. And it means that every hospital is hundreds of staff short. Although we don't have formal data on general practice, there's plenty of evidence to show how bad the impact on the GP workforce is. Uh, On Boxing Day, the RCGP reported that a snapshot poll of 200 GP leaders had shown that 95% of practices were reporting staff absences that were worse than usual. So it it found that around one in seven clinical staff and about one in six non-clinical staff were off work. And the, the college said that because obviously these absences were not spread evenly across the country or between practices. Uh, in a significant minority of cases, practices had around half of their total staff off work due to COVID-19. We reported at the start of this year on uh, GPs warning that the workforce was shredded by uh, COVID-19 related absences, with some practices warning they might have to close their doors if any, any more staff went off sick. And polling by the BMA suggests that one in five doctors have personally had to isolate due to COVID-19 in the past two weeks. And around two thirds said staff absences have impacted patient care. So one factor that deepened the problem in some areas was the problems people had getting hold of tests. The BMA has said the GP workforce has been further depleted because staff were forced to stay off work while they waited to get hold of lateral flow devices or to access uh, PCR testing. And in terms of how this is affecting practices, it means that staff who are able to work are having to work harder than ever to keep basic services afloat at a time when practice workload is already unsustainably high as a matter of routine. And the the consequences of that in terms of burnout and low morale are all too clear. But going back to the point on data collection... 
GP practices have been encouraged to inform their commissioner if services are compromised or reduced by staff absences. Um, but data on the extent of the problem in primary care hasn't been formally collected or published up to now. That, that is changing. An update for staff last week said that NHS England was changing its COVID-19 staff absence tracker to allow primary care providers to report absences. Um, the question is, of course, how that data will ultimately be used. Will it help with local workforce crises in the short term? And could it help deliver the evidence to drive the kind of root and branch workforce expansion that's needed to make general practice sustainable? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's very clear, isn't it, from their headlines that Omicron is having a huge impact on the NHS. I mean, perhaps not in the same way as we saw in the first wave of the pandemic, but things do feel really quite perilous. Hospitals across the country have declared critical incidents. I mean, the military's on standby in some areas to come in and help. Um, the backlog of care was always huge, which we're going to come and talk about in a bit more detail later. And obviously, that's only going to get worse in the coming months. Um, we also, obviously, as you mentioned, Nick, have a workforce that's now completely exhausted um, across the board in the NHS with many staff burnt out after almost two years of enormous pressure. And as more staff get sick, you know, people who are working are being asked to work harder and harder. I mean, most of the headlines people see about this sort of issue will relate to hospitals, but clearly there's a huge strain on primary care as well. Luke, you've been speaking to LMCs this week about what's going on sort of locally on the ground and the pressures practices are under. What have GPs and LMC leaders been telling you about some of the issues they're having to deal with? Yeah, so LMCs have told me that increasing numbers of practices in their areas are reporting red or black alerts, so the highest levels, um, through their own individual um, workload warning systems. So practices, as we know, have been under huge strain for uh, quite some time now. Um, and LMC CEOs have said that practices have been reporting a higher level of stress and are signalling that they're struggling to keep up. And within these areas, they say that some practices are just starting to say that they're that they're coming under pressure and they've never sort of signalled this before. One of the biggest issues identified by LMCs is patient demand. Um, so one LMC leader described it as the biggest single problem facing general practice. Um, adding that there just wasn't the workforce to deal with everyone coming through the door, um, either virtually or physically. Another big problem is the continued transfer of work from secondary care to primary care. This is an issue that's been going on for years, we know, but LMCs are saying that they feel, particularly at the moment, it's uh, it's really high and that they're feeling it more because of the high demand on services, uh, GP services already. And it's also worth pointing out that this work is unresourced. LMC representatives told me that they were experiencing staff shortages and uh, were extremely busy with the vaccine campaign. They also said that teams were still receiving abuse from the public, which is not on. Um, and as Nick was discussing earlier, um, LMCs have also said that absence through COVID is a big enemy. That was a quote from one of the LMC leaders. Um, and they were saying that practices were losing handfuls of staff um, at a time, which is just compounding the previous issues that I've mentioned. So all of this means that GPs are working above and beyond their contracted hours just to keep up. Um, but leaders have warned me that this just isn't sustainable and eventually the system will break. They've also got big concerns about the retention of staff after the pandemic. Um, some of them said to me that they felt that staff were sort of hanging on, I guess, um, or felt a sense of duty while the pandemic was still hot. But um, they said that people could quit or leave early once the pandemic has calmed down because of the stress that they've endured um, over this two years or so and perhaps could be is looking to be even longer. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty bleak picture, isn't it? I mean, it's not like GPs were 
working their actual contracted hours before the pandemic. So one can only imagine how much more they're working now. How, how have LMC's gone about sort of collecting this information and the data that they were talking to you about? Yeah, so as I said, LMCs are doing this on an individual basis at the minute, running their uh, own workload alert systems, which help to measure the activity of practices. Um, so it gets them to self-report the pressures that they're facing. I know a couple of LMCs have been using their systems for, for around two years now, collecting weekly data um, from practices. So they've accumulated a large amount of information in that time, and they can really see sort of uh, clear comparisons between workloads now and during the pandemic. Others have developed their systems more recently um, within the last six months or so and are just sort of starting to see the benefit of the information they're collecting. The problem I've been told is that with the way the local systems work at the minute is that it relies on practices uh, coming forward and sharing their data. And sometimes, especially at the minute, surgeries just don't have the time to report um, what's going on. Um, So the LMCs don't get full data, which would be better another problem is that practices i've been told sometimes don't think that providing this data will actually lead to any sort of benefit um so they might not be as keen to share the the information one more thing is that the reporting is arbitrary so perceptions of what busy is or what sort of um extreme workload is may differ from practice to practice So some have suggested that a national alert system similar to the OPAL uh, model being used in hospitals would help to create a national picture of the pressures on general practice, which leaders could then present to CCGs and NHS England as as hard evidence. And the hope is that this would then trigger additional support or at the very least um, generate an understanding uh, for those in positions of power. Yeah, I mean, it is really interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, you read about in, in the national media, we can all read about the pressure the NHS is under, but it's almost always focused on what's going on in hospitals. It's almost like that is the NHS hospitals. Yeah, I think I think from looking looking from it from the outside and talking to people within LMCs, it does seem like the OPAL system in hospitals is, is a real clear indicator and it, and it can be used to show the pressures um, on, on secondary care, whereas for primary care, that's just not there at the minute. So... Um, so yeah, we'll keep um, keep looking at whether a national system is is launched. Uh, as, as you mentioned, Luke, I think it's really notable that in the in the local systems in particular, although to an extent this might this might be something that happens with national systems too, I guess, unless there are safeguards to stop it. You know, the practices that are least likely to report potentially are the ones that are under the most pressure because they're the ones that simply don't have time to take on an additional task, even if it's a, you know, potentially a relatively straightforward one of of, of um, ticking some boxes and putting some numbers in uh, in, in into uh, into a form. Nick, one of the things I wanted to ask you do you do you get the impression that the government and perhaps NHS England? I mean, we just talked there about the fact that a lot of the reporting in the national media is about hospitals. But do you, do you think that the government and NHS England are as, as conscious of the pressures on general practice? Do you think that the pressures that GPs and their teams are under is getting the same sort of attention within um, organisations like NHS England as the, the pressures hospitals are facing? There are a few things that have set um, alarm bells ringing for general practice on that front. Um, the BMA's GP committee chair, Dr Farah Jamil, uh, picked up on a statement at the start of the year from the Prime Minister about how the rapid spread of Omicron was uh, affecting the NHS. Um, so uh, Boris Johnson acknowledged that the NHS was under pressure, 
but the benchmark he used was simply that hospital admissions are rising. And Dr Jamil said this suggested general practice was at risk of being the forgotten soldier in the battle against COVID-19 and that pressure on GPs from factors such as the staff absences we've just been talking about uh, was simply not a consideration for the government in its decisions on how to manage the pandemic. And the BMA has been calling for some time for further measures to control the spread of the pandemic, challenging the government over its approach of sticking to the so-called Plan B measures and trying to ride out the current record wave of uh, infections. And, you know, the majority of doctors support further measures to try to control Omicron, according to polling by the BMA. They're they're in favour of uh, increased requirements for face coverings and social distancing, as well as restrictions on large events. But although the government hasn't ruled out further restrictions, it doesn't yet seem inclined to take the kind of steps doctors believe could help or more accurately that that doctors, you know, generally believe should have been taken some time ago. Um, And arguably, whatever measures the government decides to take, it needs to do a better job of demonstrating that it's making its decisions based on balanced consideration of the full range of factors that define pressure on the health service, so including general practice, Uh, and to avoid giving any impression that its decisions may be based on a very narrow, hospital-centric measure of pressure. That is a really good point because everything has focused on, on admissions and that is obviously not the whole picture of what's going on in the NHS. I mean, and obviously staff absences are potentially more of a critical factor at the minute than the number of people actually going into hospital. Obviously, all of the pressure the NHS is under has led to a huge backlog of care, you know, that has come through over the last two years of the pandemic. And that is quite likely to get worse in the coming weeks, given the fact that hospitals are cancelling operations left, right and centre to deal with uh, the current pressures they're under. Last week saw the release of a report by the House of Commons Health and Social Care Committee, which, as we all know, is chaired by former Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt, who now seems to have restarted himself as the champion of workforce planning. And that report looked at what needed to be done to tackle the backlog of care. Uh, Nick, you were looking at that for us. Uh, what did the report have to say about what this all means for general practice? It's quite a significant restyling, isn't it, for, for Jeremy Hunt, considering he's previously admitted that he um, didn't give the workforce the attention it deserved. Anyway, but given what we've just been discussing about general practice being forgotten, it's um, it's interesting that this report from the Health and Social Care Select Committee explicitly calls on the government in NHS England to produce a, open quotes, broad national health and care recovery plan by April 2022 that goes beyond the elective care backlog to emergency care, mental health, primary care, community care and social care. Um, So it's explicitly putting pressure on the government and NHS England to spell out in a comprehensive way um, that includes general practice how the NHS can recover from the pandemic and the pressures that predate the pandemic. Um, And it it also highlights the impact on general practice of the hospital backlog, which is something we talked about on, on some of our previous podcasts. Um, and the role that that backlog has played in driving up demand for GP appointments to record levels in in the past year or so. Um, But its central point is to highlight the massive workforce crisis facing the NHS, and it warns that the government simply has to wake up to that problem. Um, MPs on the committee warn that the NHS's prospects of recovering from the pandemic are are massively threatened by uh, a chronic shortage of staff, Um, And, you know, obviously, as as we've discussed already today, there's the immediate shortfall caused by COVID-19 related absences. But we know that in general practice, the full time equivalent workforce is down by around 1700 doctors compared with six years ago. 
And we also know that doctors are leaving the profession early or reducing their hours because of burnout. Uh, and in fact, it's not just limited to doctors, it's other staff in primary care as well. Um, you know, and also the the, the, uh, the the doctor exodus is also linked to factors such as the, um, the, the pension tax problems. Um, and the select committee ultimately calls for a serious long-term plan to put the workforce crisis right and warns that if the government can't come up with that, the NHS will only have the staff to firefight and tread water uh, and not to recover or to begin to reduce a, wait- a record waiting list of almost 6 million people and to uh, to genuinely get back on track. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the general feeling, isn't there, is that workforce really is the thing that needs to be to be sorted. I mean, the government can throw as much money as it likes, really, at the at the NHS in some in somewhat levels. But if there's not the staff there to do the job, then it's hard to see how any of it is actually ever going to make a difference. Um, you know, speaking of workforce, uh, one story that we've discussed on the podcast before, uh, and that Luke's been reporting on over the past year or so, is how well the additional roles reimbursement scheme is doing. For those listening who don't know what it is, the ARRS is the scheme by which the government and NHS England is hoping to recruit an additional 26,000 staff to work in general practice by 2023 24 The scheme provides funding to primary care networks to cover the cost of salaries for staff such as paramedics, physios, pharmacists, social prescribers and therapists. Luke, you've written a number of stories that suggest this target is unlikely to be met. But this week, the Royal College of GPs also suggested the scheme could be in trouble. What were they saying about it? Yeah, so as you say, practice in the shape of PCNs have been given huge amounts of money to recruit um, this massive additional workforce. Sounds good. But at the halfway stage of the scheme, official figures from NHS Digital show that only around 9,000 full-time equivalent staff have been hired, um, when we would have expected somewhere in the region of 13,000 to be uh, in post. Our calculations that we've done, which estimate a figure, um, should all of networks report their data at the minute, it's only about 80% of them, um, suggests that around 11,000 staff have been hired um, at this point. But as you can see, this is still some way under the halfway goal. So these statistics led uh, the chair of the RCGP, Professor Martin Marshall, to suggest this week that the 2024 target um, of 26,000 additional staff was going to be missed. In his comments, he labelled the recruitment scheme slow and concerning, and he said the government had to step up its efforts uh, to ensure the desired number of staff would be employed on time. He said that the impact of not having enough staff in general practice was being felt acutely by um, GPs and team members with the profession, as he said before, working to its absolute limits. Um, So these extra people are really sorely needed. BMA Chair um, Dr Farah Jamil also weighed into the debate saying that the target was set before the pandemic when pressures were high um, but not as bad as they are now possibly um, which suggests that she thinks the figure is potentially out of date but she hasn't gone as far to say that. Both in fact pointed out that general practice had um, in this time sort of since the scheme was created in 2019, lost a huge number of staff already. Um, while the government has already admitted its its other target to deliver 6,000 additional GPs by the same um, year 2024, um, it's not on track. So I think this is really significant because it's the first time that GP leaders have come out openly and said that they basically doubt the target is going to be met. 
They've previously um, expressed concern with the scheme, for example, saying that the scheme should be more flexible to allow other members of um, the primary care team to be recruited. And it's also said that um, it's concerned about millions of pounds being lost through the scheme because um, these staff aren't being hired. But they haven't um, haven't highlighted in detail uh, the target and they haven't before said that it might not be achievable. And I think with the statements we've had in the last few days, they've, they've put this out there. Um, so I think they're almost sounding the horn in the hope that um, the government responds. It's not the first time issues with the scheme have, have, have been raised, though, is it? No, so... Um, so yeah, we've been writing about this for quite a, a while now. So in December, when the figures were first published um, that we've been speaking about, we said that um, it looked likely that the government was going to miss its target. We've also reported before that uh, how tens of millions of pounds um, are potentially going to waste because practices um, and networks haven't been able to use their full allocations. We still aren't 100% certain where these surplus funds have, have ended up. Uh, another thing we've also sort of highlighted is that there's a lack of flexibility to recruit a wider range of staff and a lack of financial support for clinical directors um, to be able to sort of getting other people into practices to free them up to focus on this work. And another issue is just that simply there might not actually be these extra um, staff to recruit and you can't recruit what's not there. So, yeah, I think it is really time for maybe the government to look at where this programme is going. Great. Thank you. So finally, we've got time for a bit of good news, which this week is all about vaccinations, in particular flu jabs. Nick, there's been some fairly impressive results around the uptake of flu jab this year, hasn't there? Yeah, that's right. Um, data from GP practices shows that uh, flu vaccine coverage in over 65s is the highest on record. Uh, it's at 81.4%. Uh, and in over 65s in at-risk groups, uh, it actually rises slightly to just over 84%. Um, and obviously, flu circulation remains low at this point. Uh, but, um, you know, the fact that GP practices have managed this high level of uptake alongside tens of millions of jabs as part of an accelerated COVID-19 vaccination drive is an amazing achievement. You know, it was something that ahead of uh, what was expected to be an extremely difficult winter, which it certainly is proving to be for general practice in other parts of the NHS, high flu vaccine uptake was seen as really important because we knew that uh, people with flu and COVID at the same time could be extremely badly affected. And if there had been widespread circulation of flu this winter, then it would have added intolerably to the pressure on the health service alongside the pressure that's being experienced because of the, uh, the pandemic. Thanks, Nick. Don't forget, if you've got any good news stories that you would like us to highlight on the podcast, then please do get in touch. They could be about work you or members of your team are doing in the practice that's making a difference or anything from the world of primary care that you think would cheer up your colleagues. You can email us at gppodcast at haymarket.com. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget, you can keep up with all the latest news affecting general practice at gponline.com and you can follow us on Twitter at gponlinenews. Thank you for listening and thanks to Nick and Luke. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do think about rating us and you can subscribe to Talking General Practice from wherever you get your podcasts. We're back next week when I'll be speaking to Becky Baird from health think tank The King's Fund about primary care networks. We'll be looking at how they're getting on and what the future holds for them. Please do join us then. 